Today we are uh, beginning a new sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I'm going to preach through Matthew as is my pattern, kind of in a uh, semester type structure. I think it'll take us there for a couple of years to work our way through this grand and glorious story of Christ. This time we'll take it up through May of uh, this year. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. It's on page 807 of the Blue Bibles, and of course you can find the text uh, in your bulletin as well. It might be helpful to have your Bibles open today as I'll refer a little bit to uh, the, the rest of Matthew 1 that I'm not reading, and then uh, Matthew 2 just a bit as well. I'm not planning, uh, just so you know, to preach on the end of Matthew 1 or on chapter 2. Uh, that's traversed uh, territory for us uh, with the stories of the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ uh, uh, that we look at at Christmas, the visit of the wise men uh, and kind of epiphany, this appearance uh, to the Gentiles, and then the flight to uh, Egypt and the return to Nazareth. So in two weeks, I'll pick up with Matthew chapter 3. We have a baptism uh, next week. Uh, when I first got here, uh, to Christ the King. One of the first sermon series that I preached was on the Gospel of Luke. And then a couple of years ago, uh, we finished up the Gospel of John. So I am delighted to be now uh, before Matthew and, if you will, hear him tell us uh, once again uh, the good news about Jesus Christ. And our prayer will be, as the old prayer of the church is, that as a result of hearing this word, of hearing about Christ, that we would see him more clearly, that we would love him more dearly, that we would follow him more nearly as a result of these things. So this is the word of God. Give your attention to it as it is read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, 
Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matthan, and Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Great God and Heavenly Father, may we see Jesus. May we see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. That is our prayer. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I understand it. I, I get it. I understand that for many of us, yea, I suspect for most of us, genealogies are probably not at the top of your list for favorite sections of scripture to read and say, okay, how am I going to apply this uh, today or apply that this week? The names are strange to our ears. And in the hearing of it, in the reading of it, it's easy to lose track. It's, it's easy to lose the thread. And if, as I was reading it, your mind was triggered, perhaps by one of the names to some story in the Old Testament, that you, you suddenly start thinking about that story, by the time you rejoined what I was reading, I was six generations beyond what you were thinking about at that particular time. So it's hard, right? It's, it's hard to work through these genealogies and keep them all straight. But let me say this of the genealogies that we find in Scripture. The two that we have read this morning, this Matthew one uh, that I've just read for us, and the one from Ruth uh, that Blake read for us a few moments ago, uh, those are amongst the best and the sweetest that are found in all of Scripture. And I will say this, they, they have brought me to tears of joy any number of times when I have read them over the years. Matthew's desire, right, is to tell the church, to tell the world the story of Jesus. It is the great story of the world. It is the great story of the ages. It is the greatest story that has ever been told. It is the story that frames all other stories, that makes all other stories make sense and have life in them. Now, Matthew could have done this in any number of ways, and each of the gospel writers has their own way of introducing the story of Christ. But just for example, Matthew could have started the gospel at verse 18. Verse 18 is the well-known passage. It's the annunciation uh, to Joseph of the coming Messiah, of the coming Christ through Mary. And he could have in in introduced it very easily by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So he could have started right there, and that would have been fine. It would have been a perfectly good beginning, but Matthew doesn't. 
Matthew wants to show us from the outset that the story of Jesus is a connected story. It's not a disconnected story. It's not some kind of an isolated story. It's not a foreign story that's dropped into the world with no context or setting around it. It's a connected story. And in particular, of course, by way of a genealogy, he's showing us that it's, it's a story that is connected to people of the past, to the events of the past that bring us up to the point of the birth of the Savior. But what Matthew is also telling us is not merely the idea that the story of Jesus is a connected story, as in connected to the past, but Matthew is also beginning to show us in his gospel that it is a connecting story. That, if you will, because it's a connected story, it is also a connecting story. And perhaps most easily that is seen in the idea that the story that Matthew is telling us about Jesus is the story of being reconnected to God. Right? So the, the connection to God is made clear if I just had read a little bit further for us. We would have seen the idea of the connection in you shall call his name Emmanuel. That is God with us. There's a, a connection that is going to happen now through Jesus, this son. And if you take the very first, the beginning of Matthew, and you now connect it to the end, to uh, Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, you get this same idea. The connection is still made, where Jesus says, Lo, I am with you. Okay, that's, that's the promise, Emmanuel, God with us, and it's the promise that caps the end of the gospel. Lo, I am with you. Behold, I am with you. So it connects us to God, but it doesn't only connect us to God. Matthew is presenting us a story that connects people together, or maybe we can say it this way, that connects not only people or the people of Israel together, but it connects the peoples together. It brings people together, nations together. We'll see that a little bit in the uh, genealogy itself, but you see it as soon as you turn the page when uh, these wise men are coming in from the east. We see this idea that this one, this Jesus, is going to be bringing together the nations as well. And you go then right to the end of the gospel and you see the exact same idea. So Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. I, I, I'm now, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And baptize them is to bring them into the covenant community. No longer is the covenant community just a list of is, Israelite names, but instead it's a community that's being collected and uh, it connects then time as well. It stitches time together. We have 2,000 years of history for us in what I just read. 2,000 years of connections are presented to us. But then when you go to the end of the book, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so it, it's, a, it's a story that stretches back for old beginnings of the story. And it's a story that continues on to the end of the age. Matthew is telling us the story of Jesus the Christ, and it is the story that connects everything. 
All right, so let's look at this genealogy more closely now. We could do this in, I suspect, a number of ways, but what I want to do for us today uh, as we kind of launch into this book and try and make sense of what Matthew is presenting us is to see five themes that are brought out in this genealogy. And they are five themes, not that I'm bringing out um, of the, the genealogy, but five that because of the content and because of the structure, Matthew is also, Matthew is making these themes clear to us as we get into uh, this book. Matthew is essentially saying to us, if you want to understand who Jesus is, then start with these ideas, these five themes that are presented to us in this genealogy. All right, so first theme. The first theme is kingship. Kingship. You, you, you can't meet, miss this as a reader. We've already talked about it several times in the service. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of David. Matthew is introducing Christ to us, and he immediately connects him to David. On Christmas Eve in the morning, we saw that the prophet Isaiah expected a coming messianic king, a Davidic of David, a Davidic coming messianic king. And that's true for all of the prophets as well. For example, uh, on the front of your bulletin, I put Jeremiah 23, 5 there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Matthew begins his gospel proclaiming the fulfillment of the prophetic word. And he does it from the very beginning of the gospel to the end of the gospel. From the very beginning by starting off with the son of David and by starting off with the idea that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one who is to come. And while that applies to prophets and priests, when you in particular were talking about the Messiah, the anointed one to come, you were thinking of a king. You were thinking of a king to come. And the idea of him being Christ is obviously emphasized, right? In the very first verse, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, then down to verse 16, Jesus was born who is called Christ, and then verse 17, the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Christ, the Greek idea, the Greek word, translation of the Hebrew, the Messiah, the anointed one who is coming, it is, in fact, most properly a title. So Jesus is the Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Uh, Jesus is the Christ. But he is so closely identified with that title that it becomes something we call him, that Matthew calls him as well. He's Christ. Uh, and that title for Jesus becomes a name in and of itself. We also see, as I've said, the idea of this kingship in the idea that this this genealogy that Matthew is giving to us is essentially showing us that legally Jesus has claim to the throne. That's, that's one of the things that Matthew is trying to do is to show us that this is a legitimate heir to the throne of David, his father. And of course the Davidic 
connection is emphasized. We see it in the very first verse. We see the repetition of his name in verse 6, and then we come back to the repetition of his name again in verse 17 as well. And if we took time to, or if I'd read for us a little bit further, we would have seen that in speaking to Joseph, the angel addresses him in exactly this way, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David. In chapter 2, we have these, these men from the east, these wise men coming to worship him who is the king of the Jews. And so when they come to Herod and say to Herod, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Herod immediately turns to the advisors and says, where's the Christ to be born? Right? So the, the immediate link between Christ and the king who is to be born, and what do they tell him? They tell him, well, according to the prophets, the Christ is to be born in Bethlehem, what, the city of David, in Judah, uh, which is to say the tribe of royal lineage for the Israelites. Matthew then carries this theme of kingship all the way through to the very end of the gospel, where Jesus declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew then wants us to think of kingship when we think of Jesus. The genealogy emphasizes that. Second in the genealogy is the idea that in Jesus all of the promises of God are fulfilled. So if in highlighting in the first verse that Jesus is the son of David, the idea of kingship is emphasized as soon as you say David. When you say that he's also the son of Abraham, the very next phrase, well that makes the reader think then of all of the vast promises of God that went into forming the Jewish nation and into taking care of the nation as well. Matthew wants us to see that all of these promises have been and will be fulfilled by who Jesus is, by what Jesus has done, and by what Jesus will do as well to the end of the age. And when you mention Abraham, when we think of Abraham, no doubt when the Jewish people thought of Abraham as well, we might think of him initially as the, the, the father of the Jewish nation. But he was more than that. Abraham didn't represent merely the Jewish nation, but Abraham, in fact, represented the nations as well. Look at the verse that I've got on the front of your bulletin. If you look at that, I'm going to read a little bit further back, just one verse prior to that from Genesis uh, chapter 17. It says this, it says, no longer, this is God speaking to Abraham, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So not just Abraham for one nation, Abraham for the nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The genealogy itself is testimony of this fulfillment. These are the offspring that have come. 
the many people that have come forth from Abraham, and Jesus is the offspring in particular that has come forth from Abraham as well. But Matthew, like the other themes, is going to continue to show us this theme throughout Scripture as well, that Jesus fulfills the promises of God. And, and, and here's where it would be helpful if you had your Bibles open. I'll just look at these quickly. If you go continue in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The visit of the wise men also fulfills a number of prophetic expectations, including uh, our call to worship this morning, which anticipates gifts being brought to this king from afar. And then the idea that we've already looked at of the, the Savior being born, uh, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, according to the prophets, is presented to us. And then as you look through the rest of chapter 2, verse 15, they remained there until the death of Herod, that is, in Egypt. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 23, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, some of you have mentioned in the past how much you enjoy that particular Belgic confession uh, that we used earlier in the service. But the idea of that Belgic confession is exactly this idea, that Jesus himself, in his birth, fulfills all of these prophetic expectations that were there for the coming of the Messiah. So Matthew is saying, when you think of this Jesus, when you want to make sense of this Jesus, think of the fulfillment of all of these promises that take place now in Jesus. Our third theme that Matthew brings forth is providence. Matthew doesn't present the coming of the king as fortuitous, as random, as unexpected, as man-made, as contrived, or somehow guided by anonymous fate. Instead, it happens exactly according to the plan of God, to the providence of God. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my favorite uh, coffee shop, and uh, at a table uh, near me was a friend that I've gotten to know over the years, and I joined him at his table for a few moments, and he was uh, obviously very happy about something. I said, what's going on? What are you so happy about? And he said, well, I, I just had a publisher agree to publish my next book. He's a professor at history of, at a local university uh, and has published a number of books. And I said, well, tell me about the book. Uh, and he said, well, the book is called Happenstance. Happenstance. He goes, you know those things that take place in our life where there's just, there's no rhyme, there's no reason to them. They just happen in our lives and they serve to shape who uh, we become, who we are, and what happens in our lives. And, and he went on for a couple of minutes and I smiled at him. And I, I said his name, but I said, friend, I said, 
I couldn't disagree with you more. I said, there's nothing you could say that I would disagree with more than what you have just presented to me. And then for the next 15 minutes, we talked about this. I said, listen, he had written a lot of books on the Founding Fathers. Uh, and I said, listen, the Founding Fathers used an ense word when they wrote about things, but it wasn't happenstance, it was providence. It, that, that was the word that they used to describe what had taken place. Uh, and so uh, we had a good discussion. Matthew says, this is the plan of God to work through the generations, through real people, to bring us to the king. 14, 14, and 14. Do you get it? It's not an accident. It's 14, 14, 14. Well, what's the point of 14? Now, I'm about to set you a little bit dizzy, so I'm sorry. Uh, it's inevitable uh, that you get a little bit dizzy at this point in the sermon. I hope this will not confuse you, but we think that some of the names are left out of these genealogies. Uh, at, at various points, it seems like there's some kings that are less left out. And, uh, and just to give you an example, the first set of 14, those names descending from Abraham, that's a thousand years. Okay, that's a thousand years between Abraham and David. Each of the next 14s are 500 years. So, so, so it seems like something's probably left out. There are gaps in that first uh, section as well as some gaps in the second section as well when we look at the timing of things. What Matthew has done has given to a, is given to us three highlighted groups of 14 to say to us, this is the plan of God, and I'm showing you how this works out historically as the plan of God. The, the formation in Abraham, followed by the kingship in David, followed by the loss of the kingship, the deportation that took place in roughly uh, 500 BC, 586 to be exact. So why then the 14? Why do we have these groups of 14? Well, there are various reasons that people have suggested for this. One is that uh, these are groups of seven. So you've got three groups of twice seven. Uh, and those seem to be biblical numbers representing completeness, so perhaps that's where the 14 comes from. The problem with that is that, uh, is that Matthew doesn't say that. He, he says 14. So 14 seems to be emphasized. Now here's the one that I, I don't want you... This, I'm going to put a rabbit hole right here. Don't go in it. Okay, now I know you'll go into it as a result of me saying don't go in it, but don't go in to this rabbit hole. Perhaps the easiest way to explain the 14 is that that's actually the numerical value of David's name in Hebrew. Uh, and this is not complicated. It's the same thing that you would do with English where uh, A represents 1 and B represents 2 and C represents 3. So David, uh, fourth letter in the English alphabet, turns out to be D is also the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet as well. And then uh, the V uh, in English is Vav in Hebrew. That happens to be the sixth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Hef, Vav, uh, Hef, Vav, sorry, that, I lost my fingers there. Vav, the sixth. So if you go 4D, uh, 6V, and 4D, you end up with 14. It could be as simple as that. Matthew doesn't explain it to us, but the point is clear for him. The point is, this is happening exactly to the providential, perfect plan of God whose will is worked out in history in 
the fullness of time. Think of that when you think of Jesus. Matthew's fourth theme is that we make sense of Jesus not in isolation, but within the covenant community of God's people. That's how you process who Jesus is. That's the way to understand who Jesus is. The covenant community of the people of God. A genealogy tells us that this person is linked to us. That this person is one of us. And of course, there's just, I, I don't know if this, you know, it strikes you the same way that it strikes me, but it strikes me as wonderfully ironic the way Matthew sets this entire thing up. Right? Because he's giving a genealogy and you're, you're tracking with the genealogy of the, the fatherhood of, of those who came after. And you get right down to the point where you expect to say, okay, I've given you this whole genealogy. Jesus is the son of Joseph, right? Who's the son of David. But of course, you get to the end of it and Jesus isn't the son of Joseph. He's assumed to be the son of Joseph, but he's actually not the son of Joseph. He, Joseph. He's one of us because he's the son of Mary. And, uh, and I think that's just a beautiful thing that Matthew does here to show us, listen, he's one of us, but maybe not in the way that you think he's one of us. And, and what he does with it then is immediately turns us to Emmanuel. He's one of us, and yet he's different from us because he is, in fact, God with us. And there's something that's wonderful about that, that's important about that, because he puts Jesus right in this legal line of kingship and says he's the king. The importance of that is he's actually not related to Joseph. And, and what that means is, ultimately, that other people who are not related as well, that is to say most of us in this room, some of us in this room have Jewish lineage, but not all of us, that other people can be brought into this family as well because of the nature of his own position within this family. Jesus came through a community to form, to reform a new covenant community of which he is the head and king. So knowing Christ isn't just a personal thing. Instead, when you think of Jesus, you think of community, the community through which he came and the community which he came to forge as well. The final theme of this genealogy is that Jesus comes, and here we've got to bring in the rest of Matthew 1, Jesus comes to save his people from their sin, right? That's what is said to us so clearly in verse 21, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So when we get this name, Jesus, that is the name that is presented to us, the book of the genealogy of Jesus when we read that Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, if Christ emphasizes his messianic kingship, then the name Jesus emphasizes the forgiveness of sins. God alone can save. God is the one who is our Savior. And this genealogy, as much as it is anything else, is a list of sinners, each of whom needed the Savior and the grace that he brings into the world. Abraham needed God's grace. David needed God's grace. All the men in this list needed a Savior. The women who are in this list needed 
a savior as well, several of whom are not actually Israelites, but who are included in this list. And we won't go through each of the stories. We don't have time uh, to do that. But just by example, Ruth. Ruth, the Moabitess, finds her place in this story. Tamar, probably not uh, an Israelite, finds her place in this story as well. Rahab, a Canaanite woman, finds her place in this story. And, you know, when, when you think about these stories, and believe me, it is hard for me not to go into these stories in any kind uh, of depth right now, but when you think about these stories and you realize how, how awful some of them are, right? Some of these are just awful stories that you'd, you'd rather were not in your Bible, and yet they are. And when you think about the fact that God brought the Messiah, brought Jesus Christ through these people and these events, you have to just step back in wonder and in awe and say, wow, wow, if you, if you save these people out of this mess, the debacle, that many of these stories represent, surely you are a good savior. So Matthew says to us then, when you think of Jesus, think of his kingship, think of the fulfillment of the promises that were made, think of providence, think of community, think of the gracious forgiveness. Now let me end it this way. It's kind of where we began as well. I want you to think of another genealogy, another family tree. So one is presented to us here, the family tree that led us up to Jesus, right? And that's what we saw prophesied in Isaiah as well. It looks like the stump is cut off. It looks like there's no hope at all. But a shoot springs forth from the stump of Jesse. But then we talked about in Isaiah the fruit that is born by the stump of Jesse. The fruit that is born from the tree that is Jesus. So there's a family line, a family tree that leads to Jesus, and there's a family tree that leads from Jesus for those who are in Jesus. And, and Matthew's not only interested in the old one, he's interested in the new one as well. He wants to know, or we want to know this question, is your name on the list? Is your name on the list of the genealogy of the, the, the progenitors from Jesus, those who come from Jesus? Is your name by grace through faith on that list? If it is, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then when you hear this story, hear the story with joy and receive all the aspects of it. If your name is not on that list, if you go, I'm not sure if I believe in Christ or not, then today's the day. Today is the day to join this family. By grace, through faith, by believing in the name of Jesus Christ, you can have God as your father, Jesus as your elder brother, and for better or worse, us as your brothers and sisters. Jesus, who is called Christ, and that will be the beginning of a new family for you in him. Lord, we thank you for these opening words from Matthew. We thank you for uh, what we see here of all of your providential working throughout history to bring your son into this world. Lord, thank you for your mercy that you have shown to us. Thank you for the new family that you are, that you have created, that you are still creating. May we rejoice and be a part of it. And if anybody's here today, Lord, 
who does not know you, who does not believe in the name of the Son of God, may today be the day of, uh, of belief, of faith, of turning to the King. And pray this in your name. Amen.